0: We're always going wish to wish that we could come
1: back to right now. All right, we're back with another A Band Called Punchline reaction episode. This time it's a reaction episode to the Major Motion Picture episode. And Major Motion Picture is kind of like we said in the episode. What I consider, I don't know if Steve considers, but what I consider kind of the real start of Punchline. I think we both said that in the episode.
0: Absolutely. I, I think we said that, I think we each say that multiple times <laughs> in the podcast so far, which I, there are many points that become like, no, this is the start of it, but it, you're so right. You're so
1: right. Well, it's because, and I don't remember if we said this in the episode or not, but most people at that point At that juncture in our music career, we would have changed the name of our band because everyone plays in high school bands where they're learning how to play or whatever, but we just never changed the name. So even our very first demo tape recordings that we were playing in the first episode, we are still in that same band. You realize that? This is true. (laughs) That's good. Most people, Trev, Corey, I'm sure you guys played in several high school bands that you don't even think twice about now,
2: right? Oh, for sure. Definitely. Well, actually I kind of just lied right there. I really only played in one high school band and I do think about it sometimes. So I just wanted to <laughs> retract, retract what I said.
3: Yeah. I think Sorry. about, I think about it too sometimes actually.
2: Okay. <laughs> all, right, all right. But I did play in multiple bands. But, but on that point back then too, on the, on the name change thing, I feel like it was so common back then. Like, bands that like we're the same band let's change our name and then like we're this new thing and maybe that will launch us into making it like that was like so common back then and it's like not now i don't know why. we did
0: change from the punchline to just punchline that's a good point oh and then that, that explains it that was tight good move i remember justin timberlake was at one of our shows and he came up to us and he said hey not the punchline just punchline
3: drop the the Just
0: Facebook.
1: It's clear. Shit. Well, Steve, I don't know if we talked about the actual story of how the dog got dropped. You know what it is? I don't don't recall. We got t-shirts made at this like little shop that was below. (laughs) It was below like this hotel. I think it was called Razzle's. In Belvernon, was that what it was called? Razzles?
0: That is what it was called. I hope you're going to say that they forgot the
1: the and we're like, well, we'll just be Punchline. (laughs) I seriously think that's what happened. (laughs) That's That's so funny. (laughs) It made sense to us. Do you... I'll start with Steve, and then I want to know what you guys think. Steve, do you like the name Punchline? How do you feel about our band name? I
0: feel good about it. I, I think that it suits us. You disassociate band names with the actual meaning of the word. Like I rarely think about how... Death cab for cutie. Like I, I rarely think about what is it like a a taxi cab full of full of dead people. You know, you just <laughs> it kind of becomes just what it is. You associate it with the sound. So I think I think that's why I, I've I've grown to really like punchline and just yeah, it feels good to me. Corey, what did you think about
1: the band name Punchline the first time you heard it?
2: I think it's. I, I mean, like back then, the first time I heard it. I think I thought it was awesome. Nice. Like a really good name. And now I have thought about this several times in my adult life, and I still think it's a pretty good name. I think the only the only downsides of it are the comedy club that's named Punchline and then that uh, rapper dude that keeps putting his songs on our Spotify.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we had it way before him. Uh, Trev, what
3: do you think about the name? I always thought it was just so tight I mean it's so tight you know it's like and I think that's why why would you ever change it because you guys actually figured out a one word name like that's nearly impossible to do you know and it's like it's so easy to remember it's so like it has like kind of a colorful vibe to it you know and it's like it doesn't necessarily put you in any particular place but it's also a you know, like kind of a fun sounding name, you know, I guess I always wondered if we had like a cooler
1: sounding name or a name that like looked cool on t-shirts or something, if that would have inadvertently helped our band or something. But I kind of, I think I agree with all you guys. I think it's a good name. And I think that's a good point, Trev. We got that name. Yeah. It's hard to find like a two syllable semi common word that, is your thing, and hey, we got it.
2: Nearly impossible these days, you know? It's like- yeah, I think what's most important about a band name is just it being able to be remembered easily. It happens to me all the time where I hear a band or see a video or something or someone tells me about a band, and their name's insane. And like, I would have checked it out, but I'm like, I can't remember what they were called.
3: Take it from me, a guy who had some really clunky band names. (laughs) Actually, we tried in in the early days of high school. We tried to be borderline, which is kind of funny. That Wow. Um, and it's just like, I I don't know if there
2: was other bands like that, or if there was the Madonna song or what it was, but, uh, there was a band called borderline, I think. And I think they're from like Ohio and they were like a pop punk band and they had some good songs. I think you're thinking of bottom line. Is it bottom line? Yeah, I am thinking of bottom line, but anyway,
1: we all agree. We had a good band name. Trevor, you played in a band called procession came opposite, right? There's, there's a reason why that band didn't get very far. Amazing (laughs) band, but we, we called you PCO anyway. Uh, Getting into the episode a little bit, one of the first things we talked about in this episode is, you know, around the time that Paul joined, we got into the harmony world. And I think that was a big, a big point of this episode.
3: That was something that I was always drawn to about seeing you guys in the early days is just like, wow, these guys are playing like loud and, you know, fast, but they're singing three part harmonies like what this is. So rad.
1: Yeah, we we really embraced it at the time. And Trev, you finally, I mean, I was going to get to this way later in this episode, but you finally made an appearance in an episode because yeah, you saw us in this era. So this was the first time you saw us was in the major motion picture era.
3: That's right. Yep. Yeah, that's when I, I first started hanging with you guys and I was at the release show and it was... So high energy I, I just remember Steve just like like you guys talk about you know Express and how you guys would go crazy and Steve would just like spin around <laughs> like a top he just like <laughs> f- like flipping around you know I had a wireless oh yeah I know you did yeah you, <laughs> you <laughs> thank God you did <laughs> you did those leg kicks too back then yeah I remember the leg kicks oh, those are good kicks I think that we
0: have a video of the whole show of that release show. On VHS, probably at my parents' house, but it has no sound. <laughs>
3: Perfect.
2: <laughs> hey, I have a uh, another confession. You know, you guys had told me, hey, if Punchline came into reality for you at any point, like that's when we can come into the episodes like Trev did in this episode. Right. And I didn't think that I was like listening to Punchline uh, for Major Motion Picture, but I had a memory the other day that I think is this era. And so it was kind of when I first started going to shows at all. And this show was like, a, I remember taking like a school bus to it. It was some kind of like youth group thing or something that I had went to uh, with people. And there was a band that played. It was three girls. I forget the name of the band, but I remember the name of the one girl in the band was Donna. And I somehow was Facebook friends with them years later. Two of them went to Notre Dame. They were sisters. Totally irrelevant. But. I remember them covering, you know, uh, you know, I don't like sports. So really? and that, I think that's the first time I found out who Punchline was. I don't know if that was in this era or later on and they were just happened to be covering. Wow.
1: It. Dude, that's mind blowing to think. First of all, it's kind of mind. Blo- I never really think about the fact that like our songs would be covered, but it's definitely a thing that, that has happened plenty of times, but especially yeah. from this era
2: this early on to think that someone was covering one of our songs is crazy totally i remember them they're cool girls uh pretty punk i think i bought a t-shirt of their band it was one of the first probably three or four shows i'd ever been to wow so
0: yeah listening back you know all the shows that we played with the the berlin project and how how pivotal that band was being friends with them you know John Garrigan and the guys we played with them at laga and then went on to do our own headlining shows at laga but this era was so synonymous with playing with the Berlin project and it's I it's it's good to think about John he he passed away about a, about a decade ago is that right yeah yeah Yeah,
2: about that and i know for for me man like uh you know being from penn trafford which is where you know the berlin project was from like that's definitely how a lot of people punchline was introduced to them was because punchline was the band that was playing with the berlin project all the time you know and like your music like reach kind of was like so local back then um it was either huge bands or your local bands so it's like that's how you found out about these a little more than local bands because the internet wasn't around and stuff so show flyers AMC we heard about Berlin Project maybe Chris told me and then I read about them in some
0: zine and then <laughs> somehow got connected to John Garrigan and he called me and i remember being in my bedroom on the phone with John like like oh my god like this guy called me <laughs> this is so crazy <laughs> and just and then me and Chris went to meet them at Westmoreland Mall and they were like like you know the whole band plus their friends taking up this whole table smoking cigarettes in the food
1: court (laughs) could you still smoke (laughs) cigarettes in the food court when we went and met them yeah yeah that's that's wild man hey you know this episode steve that you brought up a good point something i definitely wanted to touch on that episode for major motion picture probably would have been three hours long if we had gotten into all the bands that we were friends with or became friends with during this era i mean First and foremost, our immediate friends, A Week in July, I guess, I didn't remember this, but they played that first show of that summer tour with us in Dayton, where we broke down. (laughs) They were on that show.
0: Wow. They were around when we were still a three-piece. That's crazy. Or just when we became a four-piece, I guess. Yeah,
1: I don't remember when they formed exactly. But also, they were on the major motion picture release show. And I know because I have the ticket stub for it. It says their name on it. Nice. Nice. definitely played a lot of shows with them at that time that is also around the time that we met tree fort on that first tour because lee set up that right. show tree fort a wild band from atlanta L- love tree fort why back is like metallica why, hey, why, hey? why back is like metallica Day. There's a section which I actually cut out. I'm going to play. I'm going to insert this section into here. That's the first time we met a band called Heaven and Breakfast who we stayed in touch with and really loved their music. We met them at the Myrtle Beach show of that first tour, right, Steve? The Lazy Eye was the name of the venue. Right, right. And I cut this section because we wanted to get Justin Oliver talking about it. And I guess he had sent me his audio, but for some reason it didn't come through. And then the episode had to come out. And I'm like, I, I guess I'll take that part out. But I'm actually going to insert it into this reaction episode right now.
0: heaven and breakfast was one of the first bands that we connected with uh, on the road and they, their, their music, their songs were, were mine, were mind blowing, you know, wow this band is this good and you know their songs are this good and they're you know kind of on the same level level as us that's that's crazy it kind of scared me a little bit in that they were definitely more reckless than us in that we you know i basically always made sure I had enough money on me that we're, no matter where we were in the country, if I had
2: to get home, I could get home. But I can remember playing shows with those guys and them saying like, yeah, we spent our last $20 on beer and thinking that was crazy. Heaven and Breakfast was such a good band that we were so lucky to play shows with and definitely felt unworthy to share the stage with them. They were so good. But PJ is definitely right. They While their music was like it's super awesome indie rock, their uh, touring approach was it's 100 percent punk rock
1: i think we had a couple shows in a row with those guys and that was kind of our first experience of being on tour with another band which we would experience countless times after that but felt like we really felt the camaraderie with those guys we were out there doing it and going into the great unknown Any other bands that you remember from around this time that like... The Interns. The Interns. No, we may have not met the Interns till Rewind EP, Steve. I was actually talking to our friend Tony
3: about that. That might not be yet. I don't know. I definitely remember. So the release show was October 2001, right? Yeah. Going into the spring. Actually, 20 years ago, just in April... Was a show. I I just hopped in the van with you guys. We went out to Erie. You guys played at the Hangout with a couple little bands. One called the Strider. Oh yeah, the sec- second iteration of the Strider. Another little band called Taking Back Sunday, who was just about to explode like crazy. Right. You know. And uh, I just remember that show just being like such a party, and there was so much buzz around all of you guys. You know. And it's just crazy to think that was twenty years ago. And I mean, from, from that moment on, I mean, you guys were already had the momentum, but you were basically like, all right, if there's any show, you know, within whatever, five hours of us, we're going to help the draw. And and you guys were getting on those shows. I was actually kind of wondering, Steve, a question I had for you. You were the booker back then. And I was thinking about the uh, summer tours. Like, how are you booking these shows? Like, what, what was your process? There were booking websites that just had information for
0: promoters and venues listed and it was just a lot of cobbling that together reaching out to a whole lot of people taking a whole lot of shots and really having a low bar for what we would what we would play you know like that gazebo show (laughs) that we talked about that we did in in little rock which there were more people. There was also a baby at that show, which was not mentioned <laughs> Steve,
1: that I wanted. You also didn't mention the 2000 mosquitoes that came to that show. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, jeez. We definitely ate beans out of a frying pan after, after oh my that gosh. show. But there was that one kid who drove like two hours to see us play because he found our music on a Napster or something. Do you
1: remember what T-shirt he was wearing? He was wearing a Punchline T-shirt. Do you remember which one? wow he had ordered it we had a t-shirt at the time which was like a clip art of thomas jefferson and it said punchline if thomas jefferson likes it you know it's good (laughs) 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 dude the classic t-shirts that we had at 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 this time man oh man i wish i would have kept one of every shirt
2: hey i have a i have a question for you guys uh you brought up you brought up napster and we were, we were talking about the Berlin Project a minute ago, and uh, something I remember distinctly is, you know, and they, they covered Gin and Juice, and a bunch of bands used to do this back then. You would just call your song, like, whatever you wanted on Napster, and you could put The Beatles, you know, Hey Jude, as the name of the song, and it would get downloaded, you know, all these times. Is that something that Punchline did? Like the, Yeah. Like, trickery? Totally.
0: I did it. I I called one of our songs. Like said, it was Rufio. You did that. I did that. Yeah, Yeah. you did that intentionally. I did that, and for a long time, or you know, years later, we many many years later, we toured with them and would still get questions about that. People thinking that, like, I don't know, was a Rufio. Steve.
2: Yeah. I mean, I loved Rufio, so I hope that I downloaded a song thinking it was Rufio and it was Punchline and it's a very high possibility that that happened
1: Dude Steve to this day I thought that someone else had mistakenly put that up I didn't know you did that intentionally No that was me And it's so funny that you picked Rufio because you know we went on to tour with them I love that band and great great guys and everything but oh we, we played in Japan with them that's right years and years later but what's funny about you picking Rufio is they were the biggest MP3.com band and MP3.com was a big thing around that era.
0: I remember MP3.com would send us checks and we were like, What? We're getting money for yeah. people listening to this music online. And that was a, a great precursor of, of what was to come. That's awesome. And then
1: they went under. <laughs> <laughs> right. They were on the cutting edge though. I loved MP3.com. On MP3.com, you could upload your songs, and they would actually make individual CDs. Someone could buy that CD that they would put like... You'd upload like the artwork for it. You could buy like that. Nice. It's pretty crazy. That's kind of cool. I wish they would still... That's really I cool. I guess people aren't buying CDs. You can do that
3: on Amazon. Oh, really? But it's less cool when Amazon does it. Nah, yeah, it's not <laughs> as cool. <laughs> well, you know, on that, on that note of like getting like royalties from mp3.com, I never even heard about that, but I just... I loved when you guys talk about, you know, you're talking about how much money you spent on recording, which was hilarious. But the cool thing is, and there's another instance of it, is that you guys were paying for your craft, for your art with your art. You know what I mean? Like you guys were at the point where you were going out, selling merch, you know, playing these shows, hustling, and that you were earning the money to keep putting it back into the machine of the band, you know, which is just like, that to me is such a major breakthrough, you know, in just like kind of the stabilizing of like, this is a business, you know, like we can, we can run this thing and and make it work. For sure. It was cool. I mean, as you know, saying we spent
0: a lot of money on that album all the time that we got to spend in the studio and pick apart all the little intricacies of the songs. I mean, that's that was well
3: that was well worth it looking back. I mean, I actually had a question about that. Uh, just I was curious is like like in the studio were you guys writing in the studio and like what was Billy's role in that? You know, I just don't know if anybody was cu- I was just curious about that kind of stuff. Do you guys recall like were we, you guys writing in the studio? Was Billy no, arranging stuff? No, I don't think stuff? we
0: were writing, but just really fleshing out the parts you know, things like making the bass guitar match up with the kick drum and like learning things like that, how to dial in things that we all do intuitively. Now we were, you know, really breaking down and learning for the first time. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, Trev, I wanted to uh, touch on the point you made before about the like paying for your art with your art and it being a business and uh, all that. It it is really crazy because it's like, Young people start these bands, and like it really is the best lesson in economics and business. Like you're running a business as a young kids, and I remember, you know, just the stuff we would do, like grind on the grind type of stuff. I remember, like my first band, we would when it snowed, it was like yes, because we would go out and shovel driveways as a Mm. band to put some money in the pot to buy merch and stuff. You know, and like those lessons are such such good lessons that young kids that start bands learn. So I think it's great for young kids to be in bands cuz you it's more than just music, yeah.
0: When I think about being on our first tours, I have no concept of like how much money I had in my pocket. I mean it I mean it's just so meaningless. I feel like I could have had money or had no money and I would still not remember. I mean I was I was fine.
1: I was fine and we got we got through it. Steve, I think I remember around this time that we got $6 per diems.
3: I was just going to bring that up, Chris, because I remember so distinctly playing a show with you guys, PCO, my old band. I think Amanda uh, Amanda booked it, actually, like upstate New York. Oh, that's true. And that I remember you guys got there super late. It probably took like 10 hours to drive there. But I remember so distinctly afterwards we all went out to a diner for, you know, food or whatever. And you guys were like, all right, yeah, we each, you know, everybody gets six bucks, <laughs> you know, And which I just was like, oh my God, that's so cool. You guys are getting per diems. Like I didn't even know what a per diem was, but like, I just, I thought that was really cool. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, cause I just started thinking about that same thing of like seeing the professionalism of what you guys were doing, you know? Wow. That's funny that from an outside perspective, it looked like that. I guess it was, but I,
1: I, it just felt like chaos in a way, like, especially on that first tour, man, I, that first tour, I know we said it in there kind of uh, dramatically. It was probably me who said it dramatically, but it was like a movie. That should be a movie. (laughs) That first tour, that thing was, that thing was wild. I have a lot of notes about that first tour, little things I like to touch on. Like we, We talked about West Virginia a lot, and I do think West Virginia was important, but Trev, you brought up even Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, which is about two, three hours north of Pittsburgh, something like that. That was the place that we played more than
2: any other place ever, I believe. Right, Steve?
3: I think to to date, yeah. Yeah, you guys were hitting that a lot.
2: That show that Trev was talking about, the Strider taking back Sunday punchline, like, uh... I've played The Hangout a bunch of times, and that flyer was still there <laughs> yeah. years yeah. and years and years later for that show there, yeah.
1: That's sick. Steve, so we started playing there in this era? I can't believe we didn't think of that.
0: Yeah, it would have been in this in this era, and I want to say that we played there like 30 to 33 times when all was said and done, which was like just a few
1: more times than we played Club Laga. Wow. And that was like a Christian youth place or something that also had shows it was like an old movie theater and just people were so into it and had so much fun people came from the erie area maybe the local colleges maybe local high schools maybe people that just went to that place just to hang out it was called the hangout <laughs> such a cool place for us and dude all those places all those little pockets we once again we talked about west virginia a lot because there were a lot of those pockets there but also edinburgh think about Johnstown, Altoona. Johnstown, Cleveland, Dayton, all these places that were I mean Cleveland's a big city, but a lot of these places that were like what someone might call in the industry a B market or even a C market, right. <laughs> they were so important to us.
0: Yeah, I remember thinking like why would we ever need to go play in the in the cities of these places
3: cuz we crush it on the on the outskirts. Right. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, it, it's a good lesson to to even even nowadays sometimes yeah, just because it's like it sounds good to go play New York city. Like your show might suck, you know, go where the people are and where they want to be. And that the hangout's a great example of that. People wanted to go there. They felt like a community there. Right. So it's like, same. yeah, exactly the same as Altoona. Look at that scene that was just so thriving, you know, right.
1: Pertaining to that, Steve, this is kind of foreshadowing something in the future, but I remember when, action came out and we were first getting sound scanned reports of like where people were buying our album in stores. And we had like a real good first week when that album came out and we saw it was like, of course, Pittsburgh was one of them, but then it'd be like New York, LA, Chicago. It had like your top 10 and how many you sold in stores. But within that top 10 was Johnstown Altoona and we're like hell yeah Johnstown Altoona Uh, so that's funny yeah I think that that's that's always been an important thing is playing the going to the places where people are hungry for live music
2: yeah I think too just from like a getting out and playing shows standpoint it's where we are from and live is we kind of have an advantage because we have these smaller cities but also the major cities like we're, where we're from, you know, Pittsburgh, it's not like a lot of places in the country where we can get to these major cities and do like a 10 city tour and never really get that far away from home. Right. Like the West Coast is way different than, than here. You know, we got New York and Philly and Cleveland and Baltimore and DC, all these places within a six hour drive of us. Uh, so we're lucky.
1: Yeah, dude, there was a, a lot of other things that in retrospect, once again, we can't make these episodes three hours long. They could they easily could be with all the memories. But something I wanted to talk to you about. And Trev and Corey, you can contribute to this too, even though, you know, you weren't in punchline at the time, but you your own memories of experiencing this for the first time. Steve, I think Major Motion Picture era was the first time that I heard a big crowd of people, specifically Club Laga, singing along to our songs. That like that first time you experienced that when I was getting the clips for that episode, I was like, wow, that was a lot of people singing along to like the song. I don't know. <laughs> and what that feels like for the first time. Do you have any recollection of that?
0: I mean, those shows at Lago were just so, so crazy. This, the sing alongs and just how packed into that place. People were beautiful memories, beautiful memories of
1: that. Trev, do you have a memory of the first time you played you played a song
3: and and heard a whole crowd singing it back at you? I don't know. I don't know if I can pinpoint that, but I I could just I, whenever you hear it, it's like it's almost like hearing it for the first time. It's it's so incredible. You know, it's really like wow, we're we're connecting in this moment right now on such a wild level, you know? And and I do recall just how big of a presence punchline was. At Club Laga, even when you guys weren't playing there. I remember going to see a show, I think it was the Get Up Kids, and people were like, just like begging for punchline. I remember somebody threw like a, I don't know, a shirt or like a diaper or something on stage and it had written all like, we want punchline on it. It was something like that, you know? And it was just like, man, you guys just own this scene. It's so rad, you know? I don't know that I had that
1: perspective of it i think i was always thinking like we got to get bigger we got to get more popular when i look at these things in retrospect i'm like damn we did good (laughs) but at the time (laughs) (laughs) at the time i think that i I don't know if it was the same for you steve but i was always thinking like nah man we got to get as big as whoever this you know whatever band and i know we're going to get into the status symbol that was van and trailer sizes
3: you know to that point chris i i had a note down here that um one thing that came across in this episode that I loved and is still true to this day is just how excited and motivating you have always been. You know, in driving the like let's let's do this. Come on, let's let's get into the studio and like let's you know, get out and play or like let's do the next thing. And and I think that's from day 1 has always been such a big part of propelling the band forward and uh, continues to be today. So um, we're thankful for you, Chris. I had no concept
1: of that till Steve said it on this podcast. I always thought of it as being the four of us, all one collective mind being that way. Thanks for saying that, Steve. If I'm that guy, if I was the vocal guy at this time who said we got to do the next thing, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have remembered that. That made me feel good that you, you said that.
0: I mean, it's just crazy how the story of us and a lot of and a lot of bands, but maybe the story of of us at this point is you just don't know what to do when you're a young
3: when you're a young band. you, you talk about not knowing what you were doing and and that was a gift but and you guys actually did know exactly you were doing it just simplifying it and saying, what do we know and how can we execute that? We know we want to play shows. So we're going to contact people and get out there. We're going to meet the people that do that. We know that we need to make music so people can hear it. We're going to go record. I mean, you guys really did the grassroots work and that's like it, it hasn't changed so much. Yes, the things have changed, but like that will always be an important part of the step. And I think you guys were just being so innate about your process, and just even from what you guys are singing about, you know, talking about like, oh, I broke up with my girlfriend. I'm singing about that. You know, writers always say write what you know, and you guys were the a 360 kind of a thing of let's just write what we know, let's operate ha- on what we know, you know, let's meet people. and let's keep getting broken up with, <laughs> right? Let's just keep getting dumped <laughs> because we could take this thing to the next level. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think the dream, and I think I've heard Steve say this, but
1: like maybe at this point we were still sending our CDs to like the independent record labels that we wanted to be on. Maybe we were sending them to Asian Man and Fat Records and stuff. But I think at some point we're like, yo, we could just keep selling more and more of our, our CDs ourselves. And it doesn't matter if we're, if we're not on a record label, you know, I, I think we kind of got to that point. I think we just got rejected enough times by the labels we wanted to be on, or it seemed like they didn't care that we're like, all right, screw you. <laughs> you know, like, we'll just, we're going to do this one way or another.
2: And you know, talking about like the labels and stuff. Um, you know, I wasn't alive like back in the seventies the and eighties, but I, I wonder if, the, the label talk and everyone talking about those and it being like, I like this label and all the bands they signed. So compilation CDs, I wonder if that was a new thing in this era of music. Everyone had their favorite label and all that. It was the peak of it.
1: I don't think it was the start of it. I think it was the yeah. very peak of these 10 to 15 punk rock record labels that were like, gatekeepers would you say yeah The gatekeepers to being able to get a booking agent to being able to get in magazines to being able to get on compilation albums to people just taking you seriously
0: we have some rejection letters for sure Uh,
3: i should scan those in put them up that'd be cool (laughs) yeah somewhere we got those (laughs)
1: whatever whatever lobster records (laughs) you snooze you lose (laughs) there are some things that i thought we left out steve from that first tour one of them An important thing is when we were in California for a long time on this tour and we were staying with Gavin's brother in San Diego, there was that little time where we were hanging out with all those people who were completely tattooed, like their entire faces were tattooed and their tongues were split. Very nice people, (laughs) but it was the first time I'd ever seen like, oh my God, there's this entire crew of people whose entire faces are tattooed like they kind of like looked like lizards.
2: <laughs> that was wild. Yeah, the the body modification peeps. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Gavin's
1: brothers' friends, man, they were nice. They were, su- yeah, they that were was super wild. nice. Chris's
2: young mind
0: exploding <laughs> <laughs> on that tour. There's the picture of us on the beach, and I noticed PJ has has some flyers in his hand. That was Virginia Beach, and me and PJ talked about this after the episode came out. We rolled into Virginia Beach and we didn't have a show, so we just walked into some clubs and we were like, "Hey, we're in town. Can we can we play here?" And and one guy, I think the venue is called the Cave. <laughs> he said he's like, "You can play here tomorrow night if you can bring 30 people or something like that." So we went and we got flyers made and we walked around with with a uh, with a Walkman playing people our songs. And, and we, we actually got a bunch of people to come to the show and we played there the next night. And PJ said, you know, someone, somebody at the show, he still talks to, to this
2: day and whatnot, but we had, we
0: definitely had some gaps on that tour to fill
2: that allowed us to, uh, do things like that. Hey, and that's the like guerrilla marketing, Chris, you were talking about before. And I just talked about this yesterday. to somebody bands today, kids today, whatever. They're never going to have to experience the, you know, how many times, I mean, you have a record called getting kicked out of the mall. I've gotten (laughs) kicked out of the mall for going there to do exactly that and to sell tickets to shows. And I sold tickets. I don't know how we pulled it off, but hey, person I've never met, do you want to come to AMC and see my band this weekend? (laughs) And we would sell tickets that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's wild to think about doing that now. Insane.
1: I feel like it'd be so hard.
0: I've approached a lot of strangers in my time. Yeah, you still do. do I give you
1: credit for that, Steve. You still do that. You still not. I mean, it's interesting
3: because it still works. I mean, there's, there's always going to be a stronger memory tied to a personal connection, right? So if you go up to somebody, tell them your name and shake their hand, they're going to remember that, you know, rather than just maybe sending them a message on Instagram or something. And I think that is a perfect example of what you guys did in Virginia Beach. And I, I also think there was. A couple times that I noted how you guys were starting to see on this run the power of just being a touring band or just, I don't know what it is, being adventurous or something that people just want to help you. You know what I mean? Like from Gavin just being like, I just want to drive you guys around, you know, around the country to, to the Arkansas dude who's just like, I just want to fix your your van, you know, like right, right. we still see it now. You go out on the road and, people just respond i don't know i was kind of curious what you guys thought like what is it is it just like that we're out being adventurous or something and people just want to get behind you or i don't know i think we've
1: we've offered our places many times to to bands on tour to to stay and i think you you meet those people along the way and man we slept on a lot of floors and couches and stuff and you depend on the kindness of strangers or the kindness of people that like your music or else it's not gonna happen. We surely dude, Steve, how many times did do you think we actually got a hotel room on that first tour?
0: Never. Ne- like right. so so rarely. I mean, yeah. we must have stayed at a thousand people's houses in our life, like from those couple years just from meeting them that day and staying going to stay there. <laughs> well, it's incredible.
1: Steve, and I'm sure Corey and Trev, you, you could do this too. We could do an entire podcast episode on a amazing experiences staying with people. Like, do you remember uh, when we stay? We would stay with Socratic, and, and Kevin's dad would come with all the breakfast sandwiches in the morning. Be like, this is amazing. <laughs> And then we could do a whole other episode on the terrible situations that we were in of staying, <laughs> staying, and waking up right. and like oh either yeah. a some so we stayed somewhere where they didn't tell their roommates that an entire band was going to stay there, or they didn't tell their family that a band was oh. going to stay.
3: It's the best of times, <laughs> it's the worst of times, right? It's- yeah.
1: <laughs> or you wake up and you're you someone's like, yeah, you can sleep in that bed, and you wake up and someone's like who's sleeping in my bed? <laughs> I, I, know, I know that's happened. <laughs> yeah, That's like Edward Scissorhands. Uh, yeah, we, we've, we've all been there. Um, you know, Steve, something that I was going to ask because I don't remember. Obviously, as time went, goes on and we're in cramped quarters with each other for long periods of time, tensions are going to run high. You're going to get annoyed with each other. You're going to get in fights, arguments and stuff. I don't really remember that Happening too much at this time yet?
0: Not at all. Not at all. We all got along great, and I just think that we were all so, so in it and just out there doing the thing together. Maybe there were little things here and there, but not so, not so much. You guys were fresh.
1: Yeah. Hey, there were a couple of um, mistakes that we made in this episode. Uh, so just like the newspaper would issue the uh, <laughs> whatever the next day, like, hey, we messed up. Couple things. The club Night Owls in West Virginia that we talked about, that was not in Nitro. That was in Hurricane, West Virginia, which I knew that. So what do you guys said Nitro? And I and I thought, oh, I'm the guy who never remembers anything. I must be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is that in the credits for the major motion picture, it says
2: Jane Harreth played strings.
0: Maybe it was... One played violin and someone played cello.
2: Did you get the CDs printed at the same place that the punchline shirts were printed? <laughs> <laughs> no, that could be it. <laughs> I don't
1: remember where. Where Where do we get our CDs made, Steve? I think that that was
3: through. It wasn't Disc Makers. It wasn't Disc Makers? No, I, rem- I remember. It was the can- Canadian place because yeah, you guys yeah, told, it was. told me, you guys, you, you should get your what PCO is doing Oceans. You guys are like, yeah, yeah, you should get. Through this, uh, what was that place? Somewhere in Canada. Yeah, you And you're I remember right. it being a lot cheaper. Yeah, it was cheaper. Steve,
1: all you guys might remember this. Maybe Corey's a little young to remember this, but there was this place called Disc Makers where you can get your CDs made. We never used Disc Makers; they were expensive. But the pitch was always like dude, you got to go to Disc Makers. (laughs) You'll get a plaque. They send you like a plaque of your CD. And I don't know. I feel like we were in a studio before, Steve. Maybe it was with that first studio ever recorded. We're like, got to use Disc Makers. I'll send you a plaque. I think maybe they gave studios like a little kickback if someone would get their CDs made through Disc Makers.
2: (laughs) I I actually do remember that. And you know, that was definitely a thing until the very end of CDs for me to remember that they right. were still handing out those plaques. It's
0: like, guys, yeah. it's a lot cooler when somebody else gives you the plaque and you're not
3: getting it <laughs> <Right>. for yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you're not buying your own plaque.
1: It's, it's, it was a plaque that was like, literally, congratulations, guys. You paid to get your CDs pressed.
3: You did it.
2: <laughs> and you know what? It's funny because our good buddy mike ofka who owns innovation studios who we recorded a ton at and i still do session work there all the time i don't know if they're all disc makers plaques and mike don't take this the wrong way because it's i think it's great but his house is covered in those plaques right uh there's just so many of them they're commemorative for sure yeah they're great for For, for, it makes more sense for him yeah uh, right uh than like the band i think yeah
0: right hey a couple things with with the songs express has a clip of dmx in it going what yeah that is dude the worst ever get sued now, ben. sound bite it is and i think that that's, that's crazy i think that's funny how how much did love did you get
2: that approved how
0: oh yeah how much love <laughs> nice. i have for that song and how it has like the worst sound
3: clip edit in there so that's funny bad. um hey weekend. I- I had a question yeah oh well yeah just about like just while you're on it i was just c- curious like you guys talk about the epic intros and stuff which i i love and and i think it's super cool you guys should be proud of that but i was curious like, wh- where did that come from like was there a band or a song that inspired that or were you guys just like we just got to keep rocking this instrumental part for another minute we just had a
0: lot of ideas for for parts, and if you had an idea and I had an idea, well, okay, we'll do your idea first, and then it'll go <laughs> into my idea. And there was really, <laughs> I mean, it took years for us to realize like, the songs don't start, like, you don't hear the vocals for two minutes. Should
2: we, <laughs> should, we should we, do something about that? And, you know, it, like, is that is that a punchline thing? Or is that uh, you just started a band thing? Because if it's a punchline thing, then my first bands got that from punchline. That's awesome. Which I hope that's what it is. Because, like, my first bands, I listen to those songs. And, yeah, the intros are the same as, you know, these most major pictures. Like, it's crazy how long they are. And I think that... I probably got that from Punchline. <laughs> and that's why I was wondering if you guys kind of
3: like got inspired by somebody else to kind of do that, you know? I I don't know what you were... Maybe, did Logic do that?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> no,
1: I don't think Logic did that. And it's funny because that this episode, we talked about Logic in both the first two episodes. That is the end of talking about Logic because I believe Logic <laughs> ended a- around this time. But dude, yeah, that's such a good question, Steve. I don't know because... I, I know we talk about them a lot. We like the Get Up Kids a lot. I feel like they did some pretty big, elaborate intros. Did J- Jimmy World kind of did too? I guess, right? We were listening to with Paul's
0: influence bands like the Appleseed Cast and Deep Elm Records bands that had some more, you know, parts that would just be cool guitars and musicality things like. Cutting a measure early and whatnot, and so that could have been that could have been some of it, but I think it was just happenstance.
3: Man, what an era! Because he, like, unless you're doing something, you know, kind of off the wall for like film or something, like you can't get away with crazy long intros anymore. Everybody's like, if you don't give me the vocals within twenty or thirty seconds, I'm on to the next song. You know,
2: it's a testament too to what you're saying before about not caring about what other bands were doing that were trying to, you know, play the game. Because if you're trying to get on the radio, that is the opposite right. of what you would be doing, you know?
1: Hey, I think part of it too, Steve, and I don't know if we talked about this at all, but I know Corey and Trev will be into this and and understand what I'm talking about, is that you wanted to do cool things that were impressive and showed that you were good at your instruments and that you were a good band and that your musician
2: peers would be like Damn, that was cool. Right. <laughs> that's so true, man. So true. And that was something I don't know if that's when you first start playing a music thing. You wanna be the most technically best musician. But I know for me, I was really into a lot of heavier stuff when I started playing drums and I wanted to, you know, do double kick and all this stuff. And when I and I don't know when this happened, but when I, I realized that I wanted to to write and play songs and that it wasn't about me and my drumming, that that was such a game changer for me being the drummer like I am today in the less is more thing. And I think someone like Ringo Starr in The Beatles for me was like what showed that.
1: It's a big realization when you realize that you don't have to overplay, (laughs) that that being tasteful is more important than impressing people with how many notes you can play on bass or, or <laughs> yeah. how crazy you could be on the drums. I think that's an important lesson. It, it, it takes a while to learn that a lot of times. You
3: know what else too? It's. It, I'm just thinking it's kind of like, those were the moments where, okay, maybe you were like showing off a little bit, but you guys carried, you kept it energetic. So like the instrumental parts weren't boring. And actually they were the chances for you to freak out and let loose and everybody to even absorb even more energy. Like Paul, you know, talks about like the ending of the song when you guys were just all going so crazy that it didn't even matter what you were playing, you know? And like that energy is so highly transferable to the, to the crowd. So, Maybe it's just that like, hey, we can I mean, I can't be singing and flipping around like while you're doing it. So we need a big <laughs> instrumental part so we can freak out. You know, all these things are part of it. It's funny to look back on it and
1: just think all the things we wouldn't do now. I know I brought up going
3: here we
2: go. Oh, in the song. Like- I was
3: wondering, Chris, was that an overdub or did you do that just like live in the room while you guys were tracking or something i i I had a note i was curious it would have been an overdub yeah okay
1: yeah it was just it was just because we did that live and i I was thinking i you know i've thought this many times since then would i maybe do that on a punchline song now maybe maybe we're getting back into the mindset of having that fun live sound steve you've referenced jeff rosenstock recordings Mm. how those sound like a big party maybe we would Try to do something like that again now? I just know that, like, for a lot of years there, it's like, no, you're not gonna do that in a song. Like
0: the line, come on, come on, get your groove on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right.
3: I mean, that, that became such a part of like every album for the next couple albums, Chris. You had like some, you know, shouty, like, whether it's a rant or just like, an emotional, like rile up the, the crowd sort of vibe, you know, we're about to scream. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> that, would oh you man. call that your, um, your catchphrase? <laughs> okay. So we're
1: going to have to save all this conversation about screams and motivational speeches and all that stuff. We got to save that for reaction episode number three, That's because true. we're about to get into that world <laughs> on the rewind DP, which is the next episode. But before we close out here, any other thoughts about this era? I'll tell you a couple things. I'm very happy about the fact that people I don't talk to very often or kind of lost touch with are texting me or messaging me and saying like, yo, I love the podcast. In the past week, I've gotten messages from old friends like Jimmy Mowry hit me up and told me how much he loves it. Our friend Christmas Eager hit me up and told me how much she loves it. Lots of people who, you know, friends who I've kind of like lost touch with over the years are telling me that it's they're enjoying it. That makes me really happy. One other thing I wanted to say is, I was disappointed. I reached out to Billy Rossi and Gavin to try to get them on the podcast, but I know everyone's lives are busy. I would have loved to have got those guys perspective, but I think we did the best we could in showing what they were all about at this time.
0: Hey, can you confirm is my parents' phone number in the new vinyl? (laughs) No, No, we we took it
1: out, but it is in the CD.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. My parents' phone number because I live there was in our CD like want to book us call me call <laughs> <Here's laughs> my <laughs> parents house and ask ask my parents Steve. landline yeah <laughs> they got some calls they got some calls like you know over over the years for sure <laughs> i think they have that's great i'm sure they've died out but um <laughs> but we did we just put out a hundred copies of major motion picture on vinyl which sold out super quickly thank you tdr records and mike Collins for for putting that out we would have gotten more we didn't realize they were going to sell out so quick, we'll, maybe we'll do another pressing one day. Yeah, right,
2: that was really and the cool. TDR Records, uh, if anyone listening to this happens to like music, such a good independent label, and I don't know if it's all the time, but if you like deals, like I like deals, I'm always going to Ross Dress for Less and Marshalls and stuff. TDR is like the the Ross of, of you know, labels. And you buy one thing and Mike probably is going to send you some some other cool things with it. And I really like that about TDR.
3: Mike's the best. Oh, yeah.
0: And then people have asked, are we going to put Major Motion Picture up on Spotify? Probably not. Maybe sometimes. How come? <laughs>
3: Probably not. Why wouldn't you?
1: It's on our band camp. Punchline, it's on our Bandcamp. But punchline.bandcamp.com. Why we're not going to put it on streaming?
3: Hmm. I'll guess because you guys like to shit on these songs, but everybody else loves them. So what's stopping you, you know?
1: I like these songs. For the record, I like these songs. I don't have any problem with this. I can listen to all these songs and enjoy them. I just think that, that if someone's like, who's this band Punchline I heard? I wouldn't want that to be like the first thing they stumble on. Right. That's, that's true. All.
2: That's yeah. That's my only thing. Hey, I got a question for, for all of us. Um, and if you're listening to this pre pre the show happening, uh, will we be playing any of these songs um, July 8th for our 25th anniversary show? Is that something that fans should expect? Oh, we got it, right? I will note that the show Corey is talking about is on July
1: eighth, twenty twenty two. So if you're listening to this after that, you'll know the answer. You can just like look up the set list. But if you're listening <laughs> to this before that and you think you want to come to Pittsburgh for our twenty five year anniversary show, which is actually maybe is either on the day or it's close to the exact day we started our band, twenty five years, I would say we absolutely have to play some major motion picture at that show. Agreed.
3: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, spoiler I Spoiler announced <laughs> Spoiler alert. What I love about this episode and this podcast, there's a couple things. Well, Chris, you, you kind of talk about in this episode about hearing the mixes in the studio for the first time and mm. that sort of like magical moment. And that was such a special thing, you know, like the, the first time you kind of experienced that. And I think there's there's something about just kind of going back and, and looking at the history that everybody can kind of relate to whether they were in a band trying to do the same thing or just loved bands and supported bands and how it was just so much of a community thing you know and and that same sense of like whether you're hearing the mixes for the first time or you're seeing the band for the first time reliving that it feels so exciting and fun and, and like that magical moment to look back on so I think that's why this is such a cool podcast
2: you know trev and that's that's literally the the feedback i've gotten on this podcast from a lot of friends and stuff is like it's not that it's for them punchline centric but it just takes them back to these same situations that they were in in their first bands and stuff absolutely
0: yeah that's so cool hey one more thing to ponder is major motion picture eight it's eight songs is it an ep or is it a
3: full length well no Oh, that's a full length. I, it's I a love full. It. Length. Yeah, it's eight songs, right?
2: Yeah. And
1: Steve, come on, man. Think about how long these songs that's are. That's right. It's, right. it's
2: this is Yeah. This is, is, is tw- it run is it full runtime? I was going to ask if it's a minute thing. I was going to say well is, is how long is it is it a minute thing that qualifies it? Then I was like, "Oh, yeah, if that's the case, it's clearly an LP." Yeah. Th-
1: this is a, <laughs> this is a eight song extended LP. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, well, it's nice catching up with you guys, and I I look forward to doing it again after uh the next episode which is the rewind dp episode hell yeah gonna be a good one hell yeah
0: Thank you so much for listening to a band called Punchline. The story of our band, Punchline. You should listen to our music. It's everywhere where you can listen to music. And the coolest place to listen to our music is on Bandcamp, .bandcamp punchline.bandcamp.com. That's where most of our stuff is anyways, and Bandcamp is an awesome way to support the bands you love. One last thing, check out the Punchline Music Special, streaming now on Amazon Prime the Punchline music special. It took us a long time to make, so you should go watch it.